My name is Rahul Sones and I am the founder of the Disruptive Business Network and the host of the On Meaningful Work podcast. The On Meaningful Work podcast features humans who have battled to find true meaning in the work that they do. The hope is we can learn from their stories. This episode features CJ Holden, experientialist and creator at Space. Space has been defined as a conference, an unconference, an event, a gathering of disruptive thinkers to challenge worldviews. It has been called many things. However it may be described, it has been life-changing to those who have attended. This episode tra- traces CJ's story from his childhood in Rotorua, New Zealand, through his hospitality career in New Zealand, his stint as an purser on a, on a cruise ship, his foray into the high-end luxury events business, and finally to the creation of space. I really and truly had a blast speaking with CJ, and I hope you enjoy this episode. For all information on past episodes and future episodes, and of the events that we are running, please go to disruptivebusinessnetwork.com. Thank you. CJ, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I hope my story is um, as compelling as some of your other guests. <laughs> I'm sure it uh, will be and then some. Um, and the re- the reason I wanted to chat with you is, and I'm sure we, we'll get to this later in the episode, is what you've created with space. And, you know, I've been to tons of conferences, although I haven't been to space, but everyone I've spoken to about space said it's been life-changing for them. And I really want to get to the story of how that was created. But before we get to that, um, what, what's your... Genesis story, CJ, like where were you born? Where, where did you grow up? Mm-hmm. Well, um, oh goodness, I hope we've got enough time for this. Um, <laughs> no, it's not, it's unfortunately not as, um, as such an exciting story, but um, yep. I am a Kiwi, I'm a New Zealander, so I was born um, in Auckland and mm-hmm. um, grew up there. Um, I love that one of your first, um, one of your questions you sent me through was like, what was your first job? And I was thinking, I wonder if he means real first job or, you know, any <laughs> first job. Because um, my very first job was um, at a suburban pet store. But um, yeah. so, yes, my um, upbringing was pretty um, suburban and I guess, you know, quote unquote normal. Um, yeah. And uh, kind of later on in my, in my last year of school, we moved to um, Rotorua. So in the central North Island. And um, that was actually a really good experience for me. Um, well retrospectively of course at the time we yeah. hated being dragged out of the big city but yeah. I think actually it gave a really um, um, it was really beneficial to see New Zealand from the perspective of not being in the big city so I, mm. I really actually value those those years and kind of was a little bit grounding I suppose to um, you know in, in New Zealand they call Auckland's Jaffas you know just another mm. fucking Aucklander so <laughs> it was quite nice to spend four years um, getting to know I guess New Zealand a bit better um, you know Rotorua has a very very strong um, sense of um, like Maori population and Maori culture so yeah. that was actually something that you know we didn't get in Auckland which was you know, only three hours down the road or up the road. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's where I grew up. That's where everything began. 
Um, yep. And from there, I yeah headed off to London, from Rotorua to London. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so maybe before we get to London, um, just, you know, just uh, if you could talk a little bit, bit more about your experience at Rotorua. You said it was, you know, grounding in a way. Um, could, could you explain in, in what ways was it, was it grounding? Was it? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, with the, um, the benefit of wisdom being, you know, almost 40 now, uh, looking back, it seems quite ridiculous, but, you know, Auckland then was, um, just coming up to a million people. Mm -hmm. Um, so in the context of anywhere in Australia, it's, you know, minute, but even then it was the biggest city in New Zealand. So, um, you know, it was the sense, it was the, um, in terms of its perception from other people in New Zealand, it was like the big smoke. It was where, like, you know, the yuppies, it's like, oh, you know, Aucklanders. Mm. So moving to Rotorua, which was, uh, you know, population, I think about 30,000 ish, mm-hmm. um, was. It's hard to kind of explain. Like, well, no, I mean, it, it would be the equivalent of like growing up in, in Sydney and then moving to, you know, Albury or some or somewhere like that, somewhere kind of regional. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, the people I met and the friends I made, um, I guess, knocked the Auckland out of me. Sorry, what was that? Is it knocked the Jaffa out of you? Yeah, not the Jaffa, exactly. Um, put some Rota Vegas in there. Um, I, I guess there was a bit of an arrogance of, of, you know, oh, I'm from Auckland and, you know, we lived mm. in, uh, you know, a, a nicest suburb and you know, went to a good school. So I guess I was a little pretentious. <laughs> and, um, you know, I met, so I, in fact, I met such an incredibly diverse group of friends there as well. Um, uh, you know, I, I went, I studied hospitality when I was in, in Rotorua and worked in hotels. So, you know, I met through the course, and I guess this is probably the same of a lot of people. You leave school, which has been a mm-hmm. bit of a, um, you know, your typical universe around you, and then you meet a whole lot of far more diverse characters. But I, I kind of, <laughs> my little um, my little posse was, uh, you know, a group. We had um, someone from Tonga, um, mm-hmm. I had a South African Muslim, and mm-hmm. um, a Maori chick. And we were all in this little posse together. And, mm-hmm. like, just learning from people that were that diverse, you know, I learned so much about, um, like, ironically, so much about the world mm-hmm. <laughs> living in Rotorua. So, um, yeah, that it is- was... Um, Yes, so, sorry to interrupt, but I was just going to say that is ironic because when you think of small country towns, you, you think of the, the stereotype is usually like a monoculture rather than multiculture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, what was it about Rotorua that attracted people from different cultures, you think? I think, well, Rotorua is like a tourist hub as well. So it's probably, mm-hmm. um, you know, slightly more, uh, you know, mm, the people that were studying with me had kind of come there to to study. Not that it has a great reputation for for <laughs> academia, but um, <laughs> studying hospitality and tourism in you know one of New Zealand's top um, you know tourist destinations was probably mm-hmm. one of the drivers for some of the international students. I would sure. say, um, yeah. yeah. And and so you were, you you did your schooling in Rotorua as well. Yeah, God, I've actually decided, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I want this made public, actually. I've decided. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> and then I went to Harvard. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
Yeah, a Rhodes Scholar from Rotorua. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, how are you uh, as a student? Were, were you were, were you a good student in oh, school? Terrible. No, God no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was. Um, um, I think I'm. I think I, I, I'm. I'm a much more of a. Um, practical hands-on kind of person mm -hmm. and I you know I scraped through my my Bachelor of Tourism um, yeah. and I actually learned more I would say I mean it's the that's that kind of like um, that always, always that balance between is it better to study it or do it um, yeah. and I guess with something like tourism and hospitality you know it's not it's not particularly scientific, <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. need to study for years to, to actually do it. So um, I guess the degree was kind of what I did part time and I worked yeah. a lot. So in the four years I worked at a hotel and I kind of, um, you know, raised, a, I went up the ranks at the, at the hotel I was working at while studying. Yeah. So um, I kind of think, think of my education as as much practical as being a student because um, so, yeah. yeah, I'm not and, an academic. <laughs> but uh, what um, what what drove you to to get, uh, I suppose, a degree in in tourism? Was that being brought up in Rotorua, or was there something that something else that drove that? Um, I um, I kind of I grew up like. Uh, so well, actually, I suppose like my Genesis story before I was born, mm. <laughs> I was actually um, conceived. Your pre-Genesis story. Yeah. I, I don't know how much I don't know how much um, how much I want to share, but I was conceived in when my parents were living in London doing their OE. Mm. You know, uh, they f accidentally got pregnant and then decided mm. to buy a van, travel around Europe, and then flew back to New Zealand just before I was born. Mm -hmm. So I grew up kind of always knowing that. And I used to just pour over the um, the photo albums that um, mm. that Dad had that Dad had created from their journey from their trip. Um, with you, and with your mum's belly, with me and my mum's belly. Yep. So yeah, you know, wow, I'd already yeah. toured Europe before I was even born. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess, and, and you know, it's funny. Like I, I read something once upon a time about how um, what a mother does when she's carrying the baby has a has actually quite a high influence on what the child becomes. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was always fascinated with travel and traveling and hotels and airplanes and maps. I used to just like love looking at maps and, um, you know, just seeing what the world was like. So tourism seemed a good fit. Um, yeah. I felt like it was going to give me a, a global career, um, give me an opportunity to travel. Um, so that's why I chose tourism. Um, yeah. and, and also, so between the ages of, you know, when you were young, when you were a young kid, between say five and 12, is that how you spend your time pouring over maps and looking at photo yeah. albums? Or <laughs> yes. Oh God. I really don't know if I want this out, but okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was a bit of a, <laughs> I was a bit of a loner as well. I think, yeah. um, you know, my working out, you know, I guess everyone has their own story. In the room, but well, you know, I, I knew that I was different, and mm -hmm. you know, obviously, came out a lot a lot later in life. But I was always quite different, so I was quite a reserved kid. Um, mm. And you know, I remember <laughs> I used to have a box of um, travel brochures in my room, <laughs> like a big box, and I, I basically had you know my whole 
all my travels planned out by the time I was about, you know, 13. I had like the world mapped in terms of where I was going and going to travel. So yeah, I was a little bit of a, a geek for that. Um, and actually, mm. I was, one of the things I really wanted to do was um, was be a travel agent, funnily enough. Mm. Um, well, fun, you'll, you'll hear why that's funny enough later in the, yeah. in the story. <laughs> but, <Okay. laughs> um, Dad, really talked, Dad talked me out of it. He was like, no, you don't want to be sending people from New Zealand overseas, you want to be bringing people to New Zealand. And I was mm. like, hmm, okay. So that's why I, um, yeah, that's kind of one of the things also that led into, you know, a tourism degree rather than, you know, going to be a travel agent. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yep, that, uh, that makes sense. And then so you did your tourism degree and then you went to London, you said? Yes, I did. I, um, I couldn't get out of... Rotorua quick enough, sad mm -hmm. to say, um, you know, and, and, and honestly, I do, I do, you know, I, I did have a good time living there, um, you know, mm -hmm. as you do when you're in your late teens, early twenties, you know, doing all the wrong things, but, um, you know, I, 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 it's definitely retrospectively, I'm really thankful for being there, wasn't at the time, so, um, sure. yeah, I couldn't get out of, once I got my degree, I was like, boom, I'm out, yeah. <laughs> um, so London for me was um, like I grew one of the one of my favorite all time shows. You know, <laughs> um, needless to say, my parents knew that I was um, that I was I was gay long before I did. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite shows was absolutely fabulous, and I oh, just yes, dreamed yes. of mm. living. That was how I wanted to live. <laughs> <laughs> like all about yes darling you know darling everything and um yep. all about like you know quite f ironically i did actually start and mm. finish my um my my professional career in london in shepherd's bush which is um next to notting hill and you know it's it's like the recurring joke that it's just like it's mm. it's notting hill not shepherd bush um <laughs> where, where, where eddie lives so yeah, I kind of had very high hopes and very like, yes, I'm going to live in, you know, South Kensington and all of this kind of stuff, um, mm. which didn't quite go to plan, <laughs> certainly not in the first few years. But London for me was always like where I was going to go and where I was going to live forever. Um, I yeah. was very adamant that I wasn't going to do my OE, I was going to live there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. So... So you were watching episodes of Absolutely Fabulous in between travel brochures and Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well this was this was back in the day when you know it was only on once a week, you know? Yes, I know. You couldn't <laughs> you couldn't, uh, you couldn't... Exactly. Man. I can't imagine watching a show one episode a week now. A week? I know. I know. Isn't that kind of bizarre to think? Yeah. I know, Ugh. it's crazy. Uh, so, so then talk about uh, London. What was your first gig there? Like, what, what did you? What did well, you I mean, that was that was probably a little bit of a, a back to reality as well, because yeah. you know I'd become in Rotorua. I was like four years. I was a, um, I was a. We, they just started bringing in. Um, oh God, what was it called? Um, guest experience. Um, wasn't really a manager, like a guest experience coordinator. So I felt quite important because I'd established this role at, at this, you know, <laughs> Novotel Rotorua. Mm -hmm. um, so when I got over to the UK, I actually got offered pretty quickly a, 
a, a receptionist job at the Sofitel. And mm -hmm. I thought, oh no, I'm too good for a receptionist. <laughs> so I turned it down, um, which was probably mm -hmm. the most foolish thing I could have done because, um, well, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was, yeah, again, it needed that bloody arrogance kicked out of me um, mm. because then it took a very long time to find a job because I was punching way above my weight. But um, mm. I finally did get a job um, as kind of like a, a, a duty manager at a hotel in Shepherd's Bush. Mm. But um, I was ter I was so naughty because I got that job because I just needed something. I just, you know, three months, when I was probably about 10 weeks in and I'd burnt through all my cash. So mm. I got this job and then I um, very naughtily, was applying for another one and then got an event coordinator position with a, a much cooler hotel group. Um, <laughs> so I, after three weeks left, so that was, um, that was kind of the beginning. And then, yeah, I, I worked in, um, so the, the group was called Firmdale Hotels and, you know, it was very kind of boutique and cool. And you know, we had a lot of um, film, business. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed oh, <laughs> having to deal with bloody Harvey Weinstein and um, Michael oh, wow. Nichols and all these big directors um, as just a little kind of person that was booking them into the screening rooms. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was, it's really interesting. I know exactly the character of someone like Harvey Weinstein and, you know, I'm absolutely not surprised at what's happened later on and down the track having to, I always used That's to think it. his PA was just the most horrific person in the world. Um, mm. But after I met Harvey, I was like, oh yeah, I know why. <laughs> wow. has to deal that was fascinating. That. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I used to um, do a, like, we had screening rooms at the hotel. So mm. I was um, kind of managing those types of things. So, so kind of like in a way was like, yes, I'm, you know, dealing with fashion brands and movie brands and music mm -hmm. stuff because it was you know very cool hotel so i was playing a very little role in a very junior position um mm -hmm. but i kind of felt a little bit like yes i'm living that absolutely fabulous life <laughs> yeah. speaking of which did you run into is it jennifer saunders did she, did she come back? No, I never oh, did. Yeah. Actually, funnily enough, though, I did. And when I was working in the Novotel Rotorua, yeah. um, Dawn French, she came and stayed with Lenny Henry. Um, oh, wow. I was guest, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was guest relations, so I got to look after them. So I was a little bit... That was probably the first major, major famous person that I met. So I was a little bit mm -hmm. starstruck for that. <laughs> when yeah. I first met her. But um, no, I've never met Jennifer or um, um, Joanna Lumley. That's still on my to-do list, I guess. <laughs> you're still, you're still plenty, of, plenty of time. But I suppose the question is, with that job in a junior position, dealing with these high-profile celebrities, um, did that, I suppose, this is a big question, but did that teach you about anything about human nature or ambition or fame or did you walk away from that job thinking, you know, maybe having your hopes dashed about certain things or maybe you got ambitions, ambitious in certain ways? Did any of that come about? Mm, it's, a, it's a really good question, actually, because mm. um, I think it, for me, just like normalized celebrity and high profile people in a way, like... Mm. Um, at the end of the day, they're just people, and some of them treated you nicely, and some of you treated you not nicely. So mm. um, it was more of 
I guess it, I guess it, I guess I mean I don't know I've got mixed thoughts here but I, I mm. I'm gonna use this as kind of an analogy it's like someone right. like you know I, I can't understand how people like fawn over and follow and think that they're the most amazing people i.e. the Kardashians mm-hmm. because I guess what I saw was like how people are themselves in front of a camera or mm. in the public and then how they are privately yes, so yeah. when you start seeing this like it really like frustrated me how people you know saw people who have done you know and this is obviously in the early tw- um early 2000s and you know when mm. you know reality and um cult- reality tv culture was like you know building and growing and i, I just couldn't mm. get it because i just felt so fake Mm-hmm. Um, so it gave me a really good insight into people and, 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 and who you are and what you are. Um, mm-hmm. it was quite, it was a tough time for me personally as well. I was kind of going through a little bit of, you know, um, personal stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I was probably a little bit, I, I certainly, it certainly didn't inspire me to, um, mm-hmm. or, or motivate me to kind of become, more of that or be more into that i i guess i kind of was turned off a little bit by the whole fakeness of the of Mm -hmm. that glitz and glamour and and that kind of thing um sure and yeah i suppose if if you're open to talking about it what what was the the personal stuff you were going through (laughs) gosh you really don't have enough time (laughs) um it's um, Saturday well, afternoon I'm... in lockdown Melbourne, so I've got plenty of time. jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so, well, I, 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 um, I really struggled with coming out. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, funnily enough, that's probably one of the things that, um, if I was to say that, uh, like going to Rotorua back when I was 17 was like a good thing retrospectively, but actually at the time it was probably a really bad thing because, you know, I was 17, 18 and, you know, would have been the right time to start kind of coming out, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but going to Rotorua, which was, you know, small and, um, you know, not particularly open-minded, certainly in like, you know, mm-hmm. around 2000. So um, I kind of went back back into the closet more and going to London was a little bit of a like oh you know I can be out and um I actually yeah I I really struggled when I first got there because I didn't love the scene and Mm -hmm. it was just all too much so it was all um I was trying yeah I was kind of dealing with that and not being open about who I was and trying to hide that. And then it's quite hard to hide when you're working in, you know, boutique hotels in mm-hmm. central London, where our office was smack bang in the middle of Soho. <laughs> so here oh, no. I am trying to hide my yeah. sexuality while working in the gayest hotel group in the gayest part of London. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that was a little bit of a head fuck for, um, oh, sorry, language. Um, for oh, you a, swear. Um, for a 22 year old um boy from from you know the big city of Auckland so Mm -hmm. um yeah that was a that was a a kind of a lot and you know there was a boy I was in love with and he was straight and all of that stuff you know (laughs) my housemate you know all that oh yeah okay um yeah so so it was it was an interesting time I mean at the same time I must say so I met my um I met like a big sister to me, my boss, mm-hmm. my first proper boss in London, um, mm-hmm. she became 
a real, like a big sister. Um, mm-hmm. You know, her kids are my god kids now. And um, so that was, that was a friendship that kind of helped me get through it because she was my boss, but also um, became, mm-hmm. you know, a really good friend. Sure. And yeah. so, <laughs> um, however, I, so, so I guess like moving on to the next phase and which mm-hmm. kind of links to this topic is um, I kind of had a little bit of a, <laughs> so I've had two big breakdowns in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the stress and drama, cause it was a really hectic job. We were actually doing a hotel opening of the hotel of, of Soho hotel. So we were working like ridiculous hours. I was mm-hmm. 22. I was paid absolute, like I was paid nothing dealing mm-hmm. with my sexuality. So it all just got too much. And mm-hmm. I decided to, um, run away to sea. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, if I go and work on cruise ships, no one will ever get to know you long enough to mm-hmm. kind of have to deal with being who you are. Mm-hmm. So I ran away and worked on cruise ships and <laughs> I'll never forget one of the first people I met was a bloody Australian and <laughs> she's like, oh hi, how are you? I was like, no, yeah, good to meet you. She's like, so do you have a boyfriend? And I was just absolutely, the air was just taken out of my lungs. I was like, how dare you? What? And yeah. um, so the very, it, became, it became very, very obvious very, very quickly that um, going to sea, working on cruise ships um, mm. was not the best place to hide one's sexuality. Um, <laughs> uh, it was, um, That's almost and, a cliche, isn't it? The, it's, anyway. I know. I mean, I'm, I still can't quite remember, like, know what I was thinking, but I do truly mm. remember thinking, oh, you only, you only work on board six months and then you leave and do something <laughs> and mm. go to another ship so no one will ever know you. The um, problem with living on cruise ships is that it is like a reality TV show and mm-hmm. you get to know people way too, like, way too well, way too quickly. It's, um, it's, it's quite, quite the experience. So, yeah, that led to, to working on cruise ships for, um, for two years, which actually wow. I absolutely loved. Loved, well, loved, loved. So, so just before the cruise ship, uh, just with your, I suppose, your struggle in Soho with the, with the hotel, and especially with coming out, were you afraid that it might be career restricting or were you afraid to come out to your family? Because you mentioned your parents knew you were gay before mm. you did. What, what, mm. was the, what was the struggle there? Um, yeah, it was a bit silly, I, I guess, mm. because it, was, it wasn't really about, um, it wasn't really about career or anything. It was just about, I just didn't think that was who I wanted to be. And I guess I didn't want to um, disappoint my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess there's a little bit more to that story as well. And, and this, is, this, this was part of my second breakdown. So we'll get to that later. But yeah. um, <laughs> um, I subsequently found out that actually when I was two and a half, uh, my parents weren't quite sure if, they were doing it right, parenting mm-hmm. right. Because <laughs> okay. they, were, they were young, you know, I was an accident. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of their friends hadn't had kids yet. So they actually took me to a child psychologist. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that child psychologist said that, well, normal IQ, above average mm-hmm. um, social intelligence, and he's most likely to grow up to be homosexual. <laughs> mm-hmm. And bearing in mind, this was in 1984 in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So wow. that's yeah. quite 
you know, give, give some context. And my dad is a very, you know, man's man, you know, captain mm. of the first 5'8 rugby at boarding school. And, you know, he's a landscape um, uh, um, gardener and architect. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it was, um, yeah, <laughs> it was a lot. But anyway, they made the decision then to um, never force me out or mm -hmm. it was just going to be in my own time. So I guess they were trying to normalize it, but at the same time, not say anything. So retrospectively, I kind of wish they had mm -hmm. helped me out a bit more um, because yeah. I was effectively not coming out because I didn't want to disappoint them. Mm -hmm. Not that they wouldn't accept it. They actually had gay friends, but it mm -hmm. was more that I just didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the ideal. It wasn't the perfect you know, I'm a bit of a perfection. I'm a Virgo, right? So I'm a perfectionist mm. and, um, you know, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't perfect. It wasn't the right thing. So yeah, yeah. that's what I was struggling with. <laughs> sure. So, so it was more that it, it wasn't so much as a reveal. It was more that it, the reveal had to be perfect in a way. It had to be uh, sort of seamless rather than what you saw as disjointed? No, 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 not the reveal. Like, as mm. I didn't want to be gay, basically. Oh, okay. It wasn't. Yeah. I wanted to be. I wanted to be normal. Um, mm. And and I wasn't. So yeah, that's that was more what what was yeah what I was okay. trying to deal with. I didn't want to be what I was. <laughs> sure. And then so then coming back to your 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 work in the cruise ship. Did that, I suppose, uh, push you towards seeing yourself as normal or accepting that? <laughs> um, no, I think okay. the cruise ship kind of, I guess, showed me that there was no such thing as normal and you could be whatever the hell you wanted, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, I mean, I, I had two of the, well, the thing with, the thing with working on ships is that um, they are the best of times. They are the worst of times. Um, you yeah. know, every emotion, every relationship is heightened. So mm -hmm. good times are really, really good. Um, mm -hmm. But bad times are really, really bad. Because so, there's no um, escape. Now, sorry? Because there's no escape. Exactly. You're living 24 mm seven -hmm. with, with, mm -hmm. with, I mean, it is like, I mean, I remember coming back on one of my, um, you know, off um, between contracts and watching, you know, an episode of Big Brother or something and mm. just like going, oh my God, they are having the exact same conversations as we used to have. Because again, mm. bear in mind that this was, oh God, I can't believe that, 15 years ago. So, mm. you know, the, the internet, Wi-Fi and stuff wasn't, you know, as, as um, the ships were very disconnected, like, we had, you know, no, our soap operas were the things happening with other people on the ships, you know, mm. so um, yeah. everything is a heightened sense. But of course, you think you back and you only remember the good times. So um, mm. ultimately, I traveled a huge amount, you know, I kind mm. of, I never was really that into the backpacking thing. Mm. Um so, you know, being able to work on the ships, I mean, I was so incredibly lucky to just do an incredible amount of traveling mm. um, and kind of getting paid for it and yeah. met some amazing people who, you know, continue to this day to be my best friends. So, um, yeah, oh. I guess it just made you kind of feel a little bit more comfortable in my skin and a little bit more accepting of who I was. 
to myself and other people, you know. Yeah. You can be liked. Even if <laughs> no matter, yeah, what you are or who you are. Mm. But what was your what was your job on, on, on the cruise ship? So I was a purser, um, mm-hmm. despite everyone I tell thinking I was in the cabaret. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I was a person. Your, your life is a cabaret. Like, yeah. I would like my life is a cabaret. Um, but no, I'd like to state that for the record. Um, and so I was actually, I mean, I honestly got very lucky. I, I on my first contract, I, um, you know, which usually you, you get stuck doing the, 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 you know, seven day cruising in the Caribbean, which is um, mm. like what everyone detests because it's the cheapest cruises and it's the, um, you know, the same kind of circuit. And um, mm. so I actually was the assist, I became, got very good, <laughs> became very friendly with the right people, let's say. And um, I ended up being the practica, um, which on a, on a South American season. So mm-hmm. um, what that meant was getting the ship um, through clearance in and out of port each time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have to say like the amount of stress and pressure and dealing with um, just the most random situations that could come, that seven month contract taught me so much and like, mm-hmm. especially working now in events, you know, like mm-hmm. having to like, oh gosh, some of the, some of the things that happened and some of the dramas that you're dealing with ports and dead bodies and trying to get dead bodies back, you know, to the UK from, yeah. um, from the bottom of like Patagonia. And it was just, it was yeah. actually, I, I mean, I loved it because it was quite dr- dramatic at times. Mm. It was dealing with, um, you know, it was um, a couple of cigarette cartons and bottles of whiskey under the, <laughs> under the table every now and then in certain yeah. ports. And, um, you know, dealing with American immigration coming onto the ship with guns and stuff. So mm. it was a really, really exciting job. I actually yeah. really loved it, despite there being some massive challenges. It, um, it sounds but, like yeah. you kind of had to be a few things, like a negotiator, a diplomat, a uh, psychologist uh yeah uh, yeah, yeah you know <laughs> all with that like, it's funny actually i mean i wonder i don't i don't know what it would be like now but um you know i do think about it and think god you know i was a completely inexperienced 23 year old kid basically mm. um mm. and having to go in with the paperwork to get the ship cleared like you think like it's a bit bizarre to think that really you know we had 1500 mm. passengers and about 600 crew so there's like you know 2000 people that you're you've got all the passports for and all of the immigration papers and um you know the yellow fever oh my gosh we had a massive issue with yellow fever once and mm-hmm. um Oh, it was just, it was, yeah, I, I, I absolutely loved it. I loved the drama. I loved the mm. not really knowing what was going to happen. Um, mm. So, yeah, it certainly, I do, I do remember saying to my mum once, you know, after I'd kind of had a really stressful job in London and I had this really stressful job on the ships, I was mm. like, mum, why do I always get jobs that just push me even further and harder and stress? You know, mm. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Mm. Why do I always get these jobs that just seem to be harder and harder every time? But no, it was, it was a great time. Mm. Wow, that, that's incredible. And then obviously like that came to an end, your career on, on a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what uh, what made you decide? Okay, I've had enough. 
that I need to try something else? Um, well, I'd actually decided to, um, I decided that I was going to return to New Zealand and go back to school because I wanted to get into marketing. Mm -hmm. um, I'd kind of become a bit clearer. And it's quite funny, actually, when I, you know, now I have two god kids and um, three uh, nephews and nieces, and I always think a lot about what I would tell them. Mm -hmm. And obviously the world has changed so much. But, you know, one of the things I, I've always felt is like going straight into study mm -hmm. right after school to mm -hmm. define your whole career and your whole life. Mm -hmm. I actually find quite absurd now because I've been yep. a different person like every, every three to four years, I'm pretty mm -hmm. much a different person. And so mm -hmm. I kind of got to 25 and I was like, you know, I really want to be in advertising, marketing, communication. So mm -hmm. I'd actually thought that I would do that. I happened to be on leave from the ships and then got offered, um, well, a recruiter called me and um, offered me a role as a marketing assistant for a very, very cool hotel group in, mm -hmm. um, well, in the US and, and, and London. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, oh, that sounds good. I can, I can learn on the job. So um, I actually, yeah, got, got, that, got that job and I was able to study kind of part-time, just a, mm -hmm. like a certificate in marketing. And um, yeah, moved back to London in a better job, a little bit more glitz and glamour. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I had, I had, a, well, I had a great year and a half and then, <laughs> and then the GFC came. Um, uh, and so yeah. that wasn't a great time. However, I guess we were fortunate in that while the hotels were doing, you know, were, were struggling, um, we actually, um, in sales and marketing, we, we were busier than ever mm. because we're trying to, you know, get people in. So, yeah. um, yeah. So that's what took me back to London and, and, and then that was, in, yeah, stage two. Yeah. <laughs> and so as I was coming into your post cruise ship new job, did you, were you able to shed some of those insecurities about who you are or what you are? And... Um, yeah. 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 Coming back to London and I was, yeah, I was, um, well, I still wasn't actually out to my parents, so um, uh, yeah. But I, I was definitely out, <laughs> and I guess from like my late twenties in London, those were my party days for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, I was, I was, um, I was younger, obviously. I was slimmer, and I was mm. far more handsome. So. I was, um, yeah, out a lot <laughs> in the London gay clubbing scene. Um, yeah, those were, those were good times. Can't quite remember yeah. them all, obviously. But, <laughs> um, but that as long fun. as you yeah. remember they were good, that's all that counts. Yes, exactly, again. <laughs> so, yeah, so, 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 so that time in my life was probably the most, oh, I was going to say stable, but mm -hmm. <laughs> only stable in the sense that I like, stayed in one place for about four years. Um, yeah, but I, I was, you know, at the same time, I was, you know, working in cool hotels, working mm -hmm. in marketing, and felt like a little bit of a, you know, an, an assistant to the director of sales and marketing. And it's quite funny, because what happened next was the biggest jump in my career and where my career career probably started, which was, mm -hmm. you know, in my 30s. Yeah. Um, and I really undervalued how much I was actually learning at the time because, you know, 2009, 2010 in London was pretty miserable because, mm -hmm. you know, GFC. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't really 
accelerating in my career. I was in the same job and felt, you know, like I was better than this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really undervalued how much I was learning by being the second hand to, to the director of sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just before I turned 30, you know, here came my second life crisis mm-hmm. <laughs> where I um, did end up finally doing what I was going to do when I left ships and mm-hmm. um, packed up everything in London and moved home, moved to, to Auckland mm-hmm. um, and went back to university and did an advertising uh, creativity graduate diploma. Mm-hmm. So um, had a really good year, actually. I really enjoyed doing that. However, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that did lead to... Um, me being seconded back to London in my old job mm-hmm. for more money and a pay rise, uh, sorry, and a, and a, and a, um, a promotion um, because the person kind of ahead of me had, had gone on maternity leave. So mm-hmm. it's kind of bizarre in a way because I, your mum was certainly very disappointed because I, um, I, you know, didn't give New Zealand a chance, but mm-hmm. that was a massive, massive turning point because I'd gone back and studied something that I really wanted to, Mm-hmm. do and that I'd become quite good at um, so I studied advertising I went back into a marketing um, manager role for you know very cool hotels and did that for a year and a half and then accidentally got into events and then that mm-hmm. was where the last seven years in London were the most incredible and insightful and where I learned the most about myself and how I am as a a manager and a director. And um, Mm -hmm. that was where everything kind of, um, let's put it this way. When I first moved to London, I had no money. um, Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it and just Mm -hmm. lived the life. By the end of living in London, I earned the money to live well in London and, you know, had, had a successful career and, you know, traveled all the time for work and it was all very glitz and glamour, but I was really miserable. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was just like this, this kind of like the, the, the lifetime of, of living abroad. It was. Why, uh, why were you miserable? How to, how to um, because at that point I'd been overseas by that one mm-hmm. year for about 15 years and, you know, yeah. you see the world and I'm very fortunate to have been to, you know, every continent and, um, you know, seen a lot, and then you kind of realise how good home is. Yeah. Um, and I consider New Zealand, Australia. You know, we're kind yeah. of much of the muchness, even though there's some glaring differences. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just got to a point where it was it was done, and I guess there was also that element just from a career standpoint. Like, so effectively, I I, I moved. You know, I did my advertising creativity, went back into a marketing role in London. I actually mm-hmm. then. Um, went to in the same with the same company i did a hotel opening in marrakesh mm-hmm. and wow in marrakesh i met my now former boss and mentor mm-hmm. who said um we are launching a travel event for contemporary luxury travel mm-hmm. uh and i was like that has got me written all over it so he brought mm-hmm. me on as the marketing manager and then within Within a year and a half, I was the group marketing director and the event director for um, 
you know, a four million pound show in Miami. <laughs> so, you know, wow. I went, yeah. I had a really, really steep trajectory. And mm. back to my point I made about, you know, feeling like I was wasting my time in that job back in my late twenties. Mm-hmm. What I actually realized is that I was actually in the school of management mm-hmm. <laughs> of, um, you know, Fiona Morgan, my, 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 my boss. And, yep. you know, everything that I learned just mm. um, through just doing that role um, mm-hmm. actually helped me to manage a team, restructure a team, recruit yeah. people, fire people, um, yeah. you know, uh, motivate sales, sales goals, um, you know, help, op- mm. you know, it, it actually really, really was a school that I, again, never even, I, mm. I thought I was just a, you know, a glorified PA um, when actually I, I, I I have to thank her for everything I learned um, yeah. because that helped me in, in my career and events, which yeah. you know has been probably the you know only about seven eight years now. But yeah, um, yeah. Hmm. so I mean, it, it's funny you mention that because it, it reminds me of something uh, Steve Jobs said. You know, in his um, oh, thank you. Can I quote you? On that? <laughs> yeah, I, I only want to see you in turtlenecks now, CJ. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he said in his uh, in his Stanford address where throughout uni he just did things that he was curious about that didn't make sense to him at the time, but that only retrospectively did it make sense. And the example he gives is this mm-hmm. calligraphy class he took while at uni, and how that then while he was creating Apple. It's because of that class that he took that he created the fonts for Apple. And, mm. Oh, and, right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then he says that Bill Gates stole that idea. And that's why we have fonts, you know, whenever we type up a Word document. And oh. <laughs> it, it's kind of like these things, like you, as long as you follow your curiosity, things make sense only looking backwards yeah Mm. oh absolutely and in fact Mm. you know that's that's almost one of the um one of the insights i got when we you know when i created space which obviously Mm. we'll we'll come to but um i I absolutely believe in 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 curiosity and and um just the serendipity of how if you're curious things Mm somehow come together yeah. you know so you know the, the, the more random the better in a way because yeah. you just never know when that skill or way of thinking might 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 benefit Absolutely. or also sorry might kind of connect and help something else or someone else you know yeah. um so yeah i mean it's funny i i i definitely you know when people started you know when i started yeah. space and people started calling me an entrepreneur and all this stuff. I was like, Oh gosh, no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm just like, I'm just doing something I really love. And then, so I started saying, well, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. You know, I yeah. never planned to have my own business ever. That was mm. never part of the plan. Um, mm. And and it's just kind of happened because I just keep, I guess, following my curiosity and wanting to do cool yeah. shit. <laughs> no, but, but I think you, I read, uh, I did a bit of snooping around about you <laughs> and i heard i read somewhere you describing yourself perfectly and that you call yourself an experimentalist yeah and i think um 
this that really sums you up. But but just with events and like with this event in Miami, like what about it really made you feel okay? This is this is what about what I need to be doing. Mm. Well, it's an interesting journey in itself because at the beginning I was like, yes, this is, this is me and this is what I want to be doing. But by the end, I was like, this is awful. Get me out. Um, yeah. So at the beginning, uh, so the hotel group that I'd worked for in London was um, called Morgan's Hotel Group. It was founded by Ian Schrager, who was one of the godfathers of, contempor- of, of boutique hotels. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he... Ian Schrager, for those that probably don't know, you know, he was one of the two people um, behind Studio 54, uh, obviously the one that didn't die. <laughs> so um, you know, at the end of Studio 54, um, yeah. you know, which was actually only around for about seven months, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, got went to prison for money laundering. And when they came out, they mm-hmm. weren't allowed to operate night, nightlife anymore. They... Um, so they swapped the, they basically traded the hotel, sorry, the, the nightclub for a hotel. And oh, they amazing. started bringing in all of that ethos of Studio 54 into a hotel experience. And did, so, um, did Mike so Myers? Those were the hotel movie? groups that I was. <laughs> no, no, Mike Myers was playing Stephen Rebell. Yep. Okay, sorry. So, so there was Stephen Rebell and Ian Schrager. So Ian Schrager is yeah. actually not. No, 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 it's fine. It was interesting because people ask, or some people who know the movie do ask me that, but Mm. Steve, um, Ian Schrager is not actually portrayed in the film. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was, so it was actually Stephen Rubell and Mike Myers. It was the two of them. But interesting fact about um, Stephen Rubell, who was portrayed by Mike Myers in Studio 54, the film, is that it's actually him who was the one that got paraphrased by the New York Times that created Mm -hmm. the whole concept of boutique hotel. And so Mm -hmm. he was being interviewed and when asked, well, what makes this hotel different to, you know, any other hotel? And he was Mm -hmm. like, well, think of the big hotels as um, the shopping departments like Saks on Fifth Avenue and that kind of thing. And think of Mm -hmm. this hotel as one of the boutiques on Madison. Mm-hmm. And that's where the word boutique hotel or the term boutique hotel comes from. So there you go. There's an interesting fact for um, wow. trivia night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So I was, um, I was, you know, when I was working mm-hmm. in these, I was just like, you know, this was kind of like, I just loved everything that it stood for. I loved Studio 50, the connection with Studio 54. I loved that New York. I loved the fact that we used to look at what other company hotels did and just do the opposite. Um, mm. It was it was an amazing time, and I was kind of um, really, I just I just loved everything about doing doing things differently because, you know, after working in hotels and working on cruise ships, they were pretty, you know, no mainstream hotel like. I don't know. There was just like no character or or mm-hmm. um, personality to it. So when I when I when I kind of yeah got into into that that and, and it actually went hand in hand with kind of learning about marketing and advertising as well because you know everything in our hotels had a meaning and it had a purpose behind it and so I mm-hmm. loved that. So when Serge asked if I'd like to come and join him to launch you know um, Ali Miami. Mm-hmm he positioned it that we would be defining contemporary luxury travel. Mm. And so I felt, wow, that could, that sounds like something I want to be part of. Mm. Uh, And, you know, when we first launched, it was, I mean, unfortunately it was a Mm. trade show and I hate Mm. telling people that I worked for a trade show, 
but mm-hmm. we positioned it more as a trade festival. You know, we mm-hmm. we did everything slightly differently. We had, you know, the parties were unreal. The mm-hmm. the way that we kind of created the experience of the um of the trade show show floor, like it felt like it was uh, more of a kind of a cool nightclub than it was. Um, uh, you know, we had a DJ. Like when per- people first walked in on that first day, they was like, "Oh my God, there's a DJ here!" And it's mm. just like, "How are we going to do our meetings?" But you know, it wasn't just <laughs> a DJ; it was a music yep. producer mm. who knew how to turn the music up and have a much more kind of party vibe when you had to move meetings and a cool, mm. mellow. You know, so it was just all of those little touch points. So I was absolutely in my element because you know the the event had a great budget to play with mm-hmm. so we could make a lot of um mistakes yep. <laughs> as in i did experiment a lot um mm-hmm. you know we did some things that worked we did some things that didn't work um but it was just all part of the of of the journey and um mm-hmm. i i really did have the most incredible few years you know the event was in miami i lived in london a lot of our clients were in new york so you know i was traveling a lot and it was, it was, it was, I, I, in fact, actually, like, mm. I remember one particular point towards the end where I had gone to a lunch in, um, I think, Nobu or something. Then I'd gone to an event at, um, like, the opening of the, um, how was it? Bul- yeah, the Bulgari Hotel. And then mm. I'd gone to an event at um, Harvey Nicks <laughs> and then I ended up sitting upstairs in the restaurant having a call with the editor who was one of our um, the editor and the publisher of Travel and Leisure magazine in New York and I got off the phone I was like oh my god I've made it mm. I've, this is absolutely fabulous I'm, <laughs> I'm, swinging around, I'm swinging around South Kensington having yep. lunch or dinner at that point at Harvey Nicks on the phone mm. to my editor of Travel and Leisure I honestly had to just have a real chuckle to myself I was like oh my wow. god I've Were made you calling it. people darling all through this oh well, I'm, I was more of a babe I was more <laughs> babes but um, yeah. yeah, I was certainly partaking in everything that show <laughs> represents, unfortunately. <laughs> so it was the best of times and the worst of times again. But yeah. um, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I say that because at the beginning of that job, I really, I was like, I was in the absolute, I just loved it because we were, as we say, we were defining what the industry meant and stood for. Um, mm-hmm. We truly made a ripple through the industry of, um, you know, tr- travel agents and high-end, um, you know, design and boutique hotels. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people saying, oh, my God, this is, this is the kind of event that we needed, you know, 15 mm-hmm. years ago. So um, I really felt that we were, you know, doing something really cool and exciting. Um, and I got befriended by a lot of people at the beginning. And then I guess what was quite sad over time is... I started to get to know people, I guess a little bit better, but it all kind of came crashing down for me when, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a bit of a bad time again, personally, again, with the sexuality thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started realizing that I was friends with all of these, oh gosh, I mean, I doubt that I ever hear this, but you know, mm. I, I became friends with a lot of people who were living these lifestyles and lives, mm. but they weren't real. Mm-hmm. It was like you know, 
Um, and this is linking back to, you know, dad actually saying, you know, you don't want to be a travel agent, but you know, these, these very high end travel agents, some of them, not all of them, but mm. the ones who were generally the loudest and the ones that who befriended me and wanted to be my best friend, they weren't wanting to be best friends with me. They wanted to be best friends with the event director for this cool event. Do you know what I mean? Yes, they were trying yeah. to like, you know, get in with the right people. And I just mm. started slowly getting really dark on looking at Facebook and seeing how they were like, oh, checking into these luxury hotels and checking mm. in first class and I'm going here and I'm going there. But it was all fake because mm-hmm. while it was real in the sense that that is their life, they weren't mm. paying for it. They weren't yeah. like they weren't their clients, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they were trying and they were living their lives like they were their clients. And it's actually the travel industry's fault because the travel mm-hmm. industry, you know, rewards that kind of behavior because they they they're trying to build relationships with these people, so they're mm-hmm. giving them for free, so that their clients will book them and they'll charge mm-hmm. their clients a lot of money. You know, also, so, do I, I started. Hmm? I was just going to say. Sorry. Also, do you think the the industry is trying to build up this veneer that's that's aspirational but not real um well the thing is is i think it is real for a lot of people who mm-hmm. are in the one percent you know and yep. and we we were dealing with um and, and well as, there isn't there is definitely a role of as like there's definitely part of that aspirational mindset for sure and that's mm-hmm. why boutique hotels you know back maybe 10 15 20 years ago were mm-hmm. only high-end when mm. now, and this is actually part of the evolution of, of, of the industry and the show, but, you know, now, you know, a, a three-star hotel can be boutique. You know, mm-hmm. there are boutique hostels. And mm-hmm. we actually, with the event, were kind of starting to blur the lines between, you know, we, we for example, I never used to say we, we were a luxury travel show. I always say mm-hmm. we were a boutique and lifestyle-led travel show. Um, mm-hmm. So there was that... There was that that part, but you see, the thing is, this was a trade event. This was a B two B event, and mm-hmm. so the the marketing of, a, of an aspirational lifestyle was it's what the hotel do, obviously, to customers, but to mm-hmm. trade. Um, I guess actually, you're right. Now that I think about it, it's just like, but it was it wasn't market. It was like giving them a taste of that life because mm-hmm. they wanted to then sell it to they wanted them to sell it to their high high net worth clients sure um yeah. but it was just yeah so it was oh, it's, I, I don't know it, got, it just kind of i was never one for like you know I, I was very always very like um grateful mm-hmm. to be staying in these nice hotels and then you know we were always on a bit of a tight budget sadly mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know when i went to new york i never stayed in very nice hotels um mm-hmm. And, you know, um, you know, I was always kind of, you know, and so always grateful when I did stay somewhere nice, always super grateful when I did, you know, happen to get an upgrade, but, mm. but, but never really shared it on social where I feel there was a lot of people who were like, share it all the time. Like I just, and this is also what ultimately took me off social media and things like this. So, mm. so I guess, I guess, I guess what I'm, I guess to kind of summarize that part of my life is that I finally got a job that I do call my dream job, mm-hmm. something that I'd always aspired to 
well, I mean, I didn't know about the specific job, but I always aspired to have a job that I was, you know, traveling around the world and, you know, getting paid well. And mm-hmm. um, it was a little bit glitz and glamorous and it was, it was fun. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of parties and lots of, you know, entertaining and all of that. Um, and I guess it's kind of one of those things that when you finally get what you've always wanted, mm-hmm. it doesn't last long. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's, you start thinking, well, what next? And then you start seeing yeah. the, the downside or the, like, you know, are these my friends or are they just mm. my friends because I'm, you know, yeah. the director of this event, like, yep. and they want, you know, special treatment. And funnily enough, mm. like one by one, all of the people, a lot of the people rather than not all, some of the people that became my best friends were all people that we ended up having to start blacklisting from the event. Oh, <laughs> wow. Three people in particular who started becoming such problem children mm. that, and wanting different treatment and actually being rude and obnoxious to my team where I was like, I'm really sorry, but you're not invited back. Like I can't have this behavior. Oh, but we're yeah. friends. I'm like, and it was those, it was that kind of evolution over the you know six years mm. or so that I just like started really being miserable and, yeah. you know, <laughs> going to Miami but, and, and, and being miserable was, you know, yeah. doesn't, it's not right. <laughs> it's kind of like what you mentioned earlier is that, it, it, like a dream job could be a lie in a way because that feeling really does not last very long. Mm. Of, of, you know. Well, I think, I think, yeah, it's one of those strange things, isn't it? Because it's like, I wouldn't, I would never ever tell everyone not to obviously aim for the dream job. Of course not. Mm. But I think that you have to be realistic to understand that once you get it, it's obviously, mm the reality mm-hmm. and it won't well unless you're very lucky i suppose it won't always be your dream job there'll always be mm-hmm. kind of like i don't know like there's just uh, there's just a sense of um i didn't feel fulfilled after mm-hmm. a while and maybe i felt like i'd done mm-hmm. it all and yeah. and then actually well the yeah go on sorry <laughs> no i was just going to say that it, it really um when you think of your dream job, it really owe to yourself to contemplate that a bit more mm-hmm. rather than just mm-hmm. going for things like salary or titles or prestige yeah, or any of those things. It's really about who you are, what your values are and what your skills are and what's the summation of that that you can use to contribute to the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, and, and I think that it's part of the. I think it's kind of actually now that I'm, you know, when you say that, I'm thinking actually, you're completely right, and that's maybe the ne- that was the next level for me because, mm. on a very superficial level, I had my dream job, and then I started realizing that the people around me were probably a little bit more superficial, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. I wasn't getting that fulfillment and so that actually, yeah, started leading me. I need to do something that's more purpose driven. You know, I needed to have more mm. purpose and the purpose of, you know, bringing together, <laughs> you know, these beautiful collection of hotels and connecting them mm. with people who were going to sell them to other people who, you know, had a lot of money. I was just like, mm. Mm. <laughs> is this the world? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, I would like to touch on space now, if that's right. Like at the top of the episode, I mentioned that 
uh, I think what you've done with space is absolutely incredible because although I'm not, I, I didn't go last year, a lot of my close friends have been. And just from the responses that I saw and from people that I've talked to, I, I've not I've not experienced that from any event or conference or what you may call it, whatever you might want to call it. It mm. it's it literally has changed people's lives, and that's mm. not that's that's I mean that in a literal sense, not a metaphorical sense. Mm. Um, yeah. what, so, what was the how did that uh, what was the seed of the idea for space? Like when did when did that come about? Mm. Mm. Well, it's um, a beautiful segue, really, from the last. Um, where we left that last section because mm. um, in, in, in the third year of Alley Miami when you know we really made it I suppose like we, we were established mm. um, we pulled together this conference the, the thought leadership elements we had 16 CEOs from the coolest hotels hotel groups we you know on it was a awesome beautiful venue like you know it just everything looked amazing the lineup looked amazing mm. and then i'm sitting in the content like sitting in the, in the conversations and i just wanted to <laughs> i just wanted to sink into the floor it was mm -hmm. so boring Mm -hmm. And I was just like, how has this happened? Like, we've got the coolest people on stage. I'd paired them up so that there'd be a little bit of, like, friction in the conversation, um, you know. But just, it was just so dull. Mm -hmm. And it's that's when it actually kind of really hit me that if we're the at the forefront of, of, of travel in the industry, then... Um, we need to be hearing from people outside of the industry to evolve it. Like mm. everyone in this room should know exactly what's going on in the industry. Mm. So what's the point in having more conversations? And, you know, um, again, I wasn't from a background of trade shows and events and conferences. So, you know, I hadn't seen how echo chambers, um, like how, how, how much of an echo chamber industry conferences could be, but I just absolutely detested that, that, it was, I mean, it was a huge defining moment for me. So I decided, no, we needed to find people from outside of the industry. So I had a, an awesome boss. He was like, cool, yeah, do it. Just, you know, go, go do whatever you think is right. So I got to attend lots of different events. I went to like Cannes Lions. I went to Summit. Um, I went to the World Domination Summit, um, you know, Fast Company event in New York. I went to all of these different events. And um, mm. so we, so the next year we had people from retail talking about the death of the high street. We had people from, um, uh, you know, the, uh, music talking about how streaming had evolved um, their industry and it was all about live experience. And, um, and it was funny because like when we announced the program, there was a huge like backlash. It was like, what? This is ridiculous. There's no one from travel. Like what's the point of going to the conference? And we actually had like a dip in the numbers that went to the thought leadership part of it. Um, but the ones that went, they came in and they're like, oh my God, that was so much more insightful. <laughs> it was <laughs> like I just invented a fucking, I don't know, something incredible. But um, people were like blown away because, yeah. because for, I, and I guess this is the same of many industries, but I think mm. specifically for the crowd that Ali Miami had, it was like, they were very, um, you know, um, 
focused on like luxury and high end mm. and like you know it was a glamorous industry to be in so they didn't always feel the need i think to look outside wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily always a group of crew you know and they're also sales people and travel I, you know I, they were more interested i think sometimes in in the sale than like the strategy and everything behind it so mm. um so really blew people's minds by having people from outside of travel come and talk um that's incredible and and, and the reason I tell you that bit of story is that's where things started to change for me because yeah. I started unlocking all of these insights. Like I would go to all of these different events and be a complete outsider, be a complete fraud. Like, <laughs> like mm. I would like, I, I mean, you know, I shouldn't say, but I got in the back door of, um, of Can Lion. So I had to be mm. careful who I spoke to and what I spoke about. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, people would also like, who do you work for? What agency? And, you know, I was like, oh, well, I don't. And um, I was the outsider of all these different events. And mm. I actually got way more insight from being open and vulnerable and like saying, look, I have no clue what you're talking about. Tell me about it. Um, wow. Than I did with the speakers on the stage. So, you know, and maybe it's because I've got <laughs> an element of ADD, but, you know, mm. I sit in a dark room um, mm. listening to someone on the stage and I don't know, my attention span kind of comes and goes over a 45 minute session. Mm. Um, So when I have the opportunity to actually engage with someone and talk to them, that's when I got a lot out of it, like a Mm. lot. And so it started evolving what I wanted to do with, you know, Mm -hmm. Miami and all of that kind of thing. And, and, um, I mean, there was an, I kind of also got over London and I was like, no, I need to move home. And there was a few other things kind of going on, but that was basically the, the huge personal insight that I got, mm-hmm. which when, you know, Adam Ferrier was like, well, why don't you just do your own events? Um, mm-hmm. I stopped and thought, yeah, actually, why don't I? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that was kind of the, the, the insight before, before, I mean, as I said, uh, an accidental entrepreneur, I never mm. ever even imagined that I'd, you know, have my own, you know, run my own business. Um, yep. so just having that conversation and thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe mm. I could do that. But you know, I just had all this insight and I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. I mean, I thought I was, you know, just going to get a job and a marketing mm. company somewhere. Um, so, and, and I have to really thank Adam, you know, he's uh, um, one of the co-founders of Thinkabell, um, mm-hmm. you know, and a creative, an absolute madman, mm-hmm. but he was really <laughs> the one that um, kind of has, has gave the opportunity to, I mean, even like, even putting it out there. So, you know, Thinkabell yeah. has given me a, a, a base to, to experiment. <laughs> and, um, and, and yeah, I spent about a year because I was very fortunate in that I left my old job, but carried on kind of consulting, I suppose, just mentoring the new team. Mm-hmm. So I was um, lucky to spend about a year still kind of working, but part-time working on what, space was going to be and Mm. i guess you know i'm very fortunate in going to all these different events and having that insight and then i came here and i started looking at what um events there were and you know there's a couple of cool ones but ultimately i found that they were generally speaking in a big city Mm. generally in a conventional meeting space they were pretty typical in the fact that they had speaker audience, you know, the broadcast kind of model, um, 
generally they were one industry looking in on themselves. Um, mm. And most importantly, very little of them disconnected people from their day-to-day -day lives. So yeah. those were kind of five constants that I found in every, um, every event. And mm -hmm. like the constant through all my messy career is I've always done the opposite of what everyone else has. You know, mm -hmm. at Morgan's Hotel Group, we always looked at what other hotels were doing and we did the opposite. With Ali mm -hmm. Miami, like you looked at other trade shows and you're like, well, it's pretty easy to do that differently. So mm. I just did completely opposite. And so mm. it was only natural <laughs> to create an event that basically was the opposite of all those five things. So those are um, the five kind of princi principles that we run any space event on, which this year has been challenging <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> to say the least. Um, we made such a big thing about going offline last year that, um, you know, creating yep. something online has been a bit of a challenge, but mm. yeah, ultimately, you know, what, what, and it's, oh gosh, I hope there's no event organizers listening to your podcast, but it's actually really easy. Mm. All we did was disconnect people from their day-to-day -day lives, take mm. them out of a city, put them mm. in an environment that is far more relaxed and comfortable and festival like mm -hmm. um, we made sure that everyone was on a level playing field. So officially there's no speakers at space, yeah. but technically everyone has to come prepared to host something. And then I think the most crucial part was the interview, like how we select people to come mm -hmm. to the event. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the question I get asked the most, actually, like, who comes to space? What's the demographic? And I said, well, we don't have a demographic as such. In fact, less, the only demographics we like to try and um, manage is to make sure we're actually as diverse as possible. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. the, the um, you know, I like to say that we're um, exclusively inclusive. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we, we, you can't just pay mm -hmm. to come, um, yep. you know, there has to be an element of curation and it's mm -hmm. not curation of your marketing expert, your, um, you know, a, an expert in education, your list. it's actually the more varied, the better because mm -hmm. that, back to the insight that I kind of had when I was in my old, old life was if you sit down with someone and you have no idea who they are, no idea what they are, they're not wearing a lanyard, you know, you're not mm. in a conference space, you're around a fire um, mm. and you've just, you know, seen Isabella Manfredi perform and you've had a few glasses of wine or you've had a blind tasting or whatever. Um, you've had a shared experience with someone. You can actually sit down and have a conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. And as the context of space we create, you're not talking about what they are. Mm -hmm. You're not talking about what they do. You're talking about who they are. And you're mm -hmm. talking to the person, not the job title or the company they work for. So mm -hmm. that allowed people to connect on a personal and a human level before mm -hmm. they connected on what am I going to get out of this conversation level. Mm -hmm. And to your point about many people, you know, having life-changing moments at space, um, I actually broke down. <laughs> on the last day hmm. and I couldn't even open my LinkedIn for the month after space because hmm. I I'm an experiment <laughs> you know I actually call myself an experientialist but there's absolutely an element of experientialist yeah. hmm. but there's an element of experimentation in that for sure I'm not yeah. afraid to try different things hmm. um, so you know we kind of in a way 
threw something at the wall and see if it stuck. And mm. um, to, to have created that experience when I had the, f- the first person came up to me when I was, you know, seeing everybody off on the last day, said, mm. I just want to let you know, this has really, honestly changed my life, this event, this, this weekend. And I was like, oh, mm. yeah, go and get some sleep. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, and then after the fifth person, and literally mm. the fifth person came and said something along those lines that it had been transformational, that they'd, you know, that they've decided that off this weekend, they're absolutely just tearing down their company and building it up from the bottom again. Mm-hmm. I actually physically lost it. And, and I, started, mm. I, I had to go and go like, excuse myself. And I kind of broke down. I was just like, Oh my God, what, what have I done? You know? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I share that as a, you know, true heart on my sleeve thing, because it's not that I didn't know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. It's just, I didn't, I underestimated. Well, we underestimated, Holly, Adam, and I, we all completely underestimated. And this is what I think is magic. We underestimated just how powerful human connection can Mm -hmm. be. If you drop your preconceived ideas on people, you, you truly just lean into learning what, that person sitting next to you has to teach you that you Mm -hmm. don't know already, it it can just create such magic. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I feel that that's one of the things that I get upset about now in the world is just how polarized everything's becoming and people are Mm -hmm. sitting down and listening. And, you know, we have to remember that as a human race, we have more in common with, you know, another human, despite their opposing beliefs, than you have not in common because you're mm-hmm. human. We all have emotions. We all have love. We all have, you know, hate. We all have, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's just the, the power of what the event is. So mm-hmm. it's very hard to explain to some some people, and generally those people are the people that aren't right for space anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, it, it is really incredible what you've created and um and you know i know a couple of people who went to space and have since launched they've written books you know they've launched uh you know businesses you know it's it it has had a transformational experience on people but but just what you were what you were talking about before just with the with running events in the travel agency and then looking at outside influences and how that can really um, embellish or, you know, really make an event special because you, you see, you, you literally, you know, get ideas that have worked in other areas that you can then incorporate into what you're doing. Mm. Um, and that, I mean, I'm really going to fluff your pillows now because that I've got another Steve Jobs story for you. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really like when Steve Jobs was thinking about the uh, Apple store, he wanted to, you know, really, really uh, reinvent retail. But he didn't ask himself, you know, what's the most innovative retail company doing? Mm -hmm. He asked himself, where do people like hanging out? Mm -hmm. And the answer he came up with was in the lobbies of five-star hotels. Mm, yeah. And then he asked himself, why is that? And he actually sent a group of his, uh, you know, people through the Four Seasons training program. Oh, really? 
And what they discovered was that like the hotel concierge is probably like the most important person there because he knows everything, not just about the hotel, but everything that's going on in the city, etc. And that's what he brought back to the, when designing the Apple store. And that's how he got the idea for the genius bar. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. I wish I knew that story five years ago. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> but that is, so, that is so interesting. Cause yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. So it's, um, you are really like the Steve Jobs of events, CJ. I'm calling it now. <laughs> okay, let's... <laughs> no, but, I don't but know about in, that. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, though, I think um, just just with space, I mean, if you wouldn't mind go, go, going through the five elements again that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Oh, so the five elements of space or the, yep. the yes. Well, I guess um, first it's about disconnecting people from their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. So what that means is um, we highly, enc- you know, hu- encourage people to not take their phones with them, to leave the phone in the room, to literally, you know, space is all inclusive. So basically you pay once and then you don't have to worry about, you know, what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat, we take care of absolutely everything. So mm-hmm. all you have to focus on is the conversations you're having with other people. Mm-hmm. So to do that, you need to, you know, disconnect from, you know, your typical day. Um, so part of that. And the second point is we take people t- outside of their towns. So, mm-hmm. you know, Byron Bay was only the second venue that I looked at, but it just immediately worked um because you know it's beautiful (laughs) it's beachy the climate's Mm -hmm. nice so so it's somewhere you want to go you know like if (laughs) you know this is something that i learned as well from my my former life you know search was always very clear that you know he wouldn't launch a show until he found a city that represented that show Mm -hmm. and it had Mm -hmm. to be you know ali miami would not have worked if it was atlanta or, mm-hmm. you know, Detroit, well, Detroit's quite cool, actually, but no, it still wouldn't have worked. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, finding, finding a location, and that was funny as well, you know, some of the, um, you know, we interview every single person before they're approved to come, or rather invited to come. Um, yeah. And, you know, when, when you say, oh, we're having a festival, like a conference in Byron, you know, part, <laughs> with a lot of people, it's like, I'm there, I'm coming. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you've got to make, you've got to the location has to be sexy and the look mm. or sexy is maybe not the right word. The location has to fit the experience you're trying to create, you know, yes, space yes. wouldn't work if we did it in, um, you know, in Melbourne or mm. in, in any of the cities, you know, mm-hmm. um, the next thing is an unconventional venue. And so this is one of the things I have a real bugbear of this. <laughs> like mm. uh, there is nothing worse than, especially when the weather is nice, when you go into a big dark hall and sit generally, and maybe it's because I went to too many conferences in America, um, Mm. but you have freezing air conditioning. So you're sitting there freezing in the dark, trying to concentrate to someone speaking on the stage. So venue for me is so important because Mm -hmm. it sets the context along with the the location. It sets Mm -hmm. the context for what you're trying to create. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
space is not about content. <laughs> it's about connection. Mm-hmm. And you can't have connection if you're not in an environment that invites connection. Mm-hmm. So that's the third thing. And the location, sorry, the, the, um, the, 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 the way that you, the venue is really important. Sorry, the, yeah, the way mm-hmm. you, you know, space would not have worked if we'd done it in, um, you know, uh, uh, sorry to say to all hotels, but yeah. a hotel <laughs> conference room. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then what's the next thing? Uh, the next thing is, oh, the broadcast. So, you know, again, mm. to my, the, the content, I want us to have, you know, again, being the opposite of every event, you know, some people like some, funnily enough, actually, some mostly people in events here in Australia, uh, obviously without naming names, it was people who were in events that actually were some of my biggest, um, you know, um, cut, cutting down my tall poppy. Because yeah, they're like, oh, yeah. this, you're having a conference with no speakers? <laughs> yeah, okay, mm. good luck with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't deterred by it because, you know, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen it work. So I knew that it could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that if you go to an event, you know, if you go to a conference, it's, mm-hmm. it's especially industry conferences. That's the best example, right? People go to, you know, an industry mm-hmm. conference not really for the content, not really for what's talking on the stage. That's mm-hmm. what will get it signed off on the bottom line from your manager or whatever. But mm-hmm. you're really going to connect with other people and mm-hmm. speak to them. You're going to learn more from, you know, a competitor in a different city than you're going to learn from, you know, a keynote speaker on the stage. Absolutely. Especially in my, in fact, I will, like I think especially in today's day and age when you're walking around with every single TED talk that's ever happened mm-hmm. in your pocket, <laughs> you know, <Yes. laughs> like if you really want to learn about something and you do mm-hmm. not need to go to a conference to learn mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's, I think, funnily enough, like, you know, going forward after this p- pandemic, I think it's going to be super, super interesting to see what happens mm-hmm. because there haven't been a shortage of events this year. There's mm-hmm. probably been more, I think, because everyone's pivoted to digital. Yep. But we've had a year full of content. Mm-hmm. All we've had is people talking at us. Yes. And I think going forward, and this is where space is the you know perfect event for the new millennia. Um, mm-hmm. is, um, You've heard of your first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but, but so sorry, back to that, 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 that fourth point. So yep. um, effectively what I'm saying is that we didn't want to have speaker audience. We wanted mm. to completely blur the lines. So there was no speakers, um, but everyone was an active participant. And mm. so that's, that's kind of, had, had definitely had a double-edged sword. You know, a lot of people were actually put off by that because, you know, um, they were like, oh, you know, scary. I have to, you know, do oh, a yeah. talk or I have to whatever. But, but you know, way, the way that we stay um, positioned being an active participant is that while we encourage everyone to prepare something, um, mm-hmm. you can, you know, you can hold a stage if you are prepared and feel confident to hold a stage. You can hold mm-hmm. a room if you're more comfortable just having a small, you know, gathering of, you know, 10, 20 people. But also you can just hold a conversation. As long mm. as you're prepared to give mm-hmm. more than you're going to get from the event, that's what's mm-hmm. most important. And I don't believe that 
speaker on the stage is you know is is the is the I, well, back to my first original insight. I got more mm-hmm. insight from having an open, free conversation with someone at the coffee machine or the bar, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what space is. It's a whole mm-hmm. lot of coffee machine, <laughs> bar talking mm-hmm. around campfires and 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 having a shared experience with people. And I think you just mm-hmm. learn so much more. Mm. Everyone's kind of an expert. You know? Every, everyone knows something that you don't know. So. Mm. It's kind of like, and this is this could be a terrible analogy, but it's. Um, but Steve Jobs uh, said no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually. I love this show, Chef's Table, on on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. And one of the first oh, episodes yeah, I was actually seen it, but yeah. this uh, chef, this Italian chef, who has like the number one restaurant in the world. Like what he discovered was that with a lasagna, people really love like the burnt crusty bits of a lasagna more than the actual lasagna right he created a dish just of burnt crusty lasagna bits Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah we just kind of it's it's funny though that 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 that, that's like such an interesting insight because like Hmm. you know it's it's the it's the um, Henry Ford saying as well. Like, if you'd listened mm. to your customers, you would have created faster horses. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if, if I listened to everybody about mm. what they wanted for space, um, mm. it would not have been space. Yes. <laughs> and so to the, yeah, the lasagna point, it's funny that you say that because I love those crusty bits too. That's like... But <laughs> 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 um, anyway, just to... I suppose um, bring this to some sort of a conclusion. Um, like what I, what I love about your story, and especially the creation of space, is kind of listening to you know to your whole story. Now it's incredible how you've taken elements from every part of your journey, like from growing up in Rotorua to you know. I think even having those, I mean, not to make light of them, but having those breakdowns you know, as a young person, uh, finding the right mentors at the right time, uh, kind of then, you know, finding yourself in, in even the cruise ship role, you really taken elements from all those parts of your journey and really brought it to, to space. Mm. Oh, uh, yes, for, like for mm. sure. And I think, you know, I've, I've done it accidentally, yeah. <laughs> I guess. So I've been really lucky in that, but you know, I think mm. that, uh, how much more powerful would it have been if you had, if, you know, if I had known that that's what I'd, I'd needed to seek out mentors, if you know what I mean? Like, I think mm. that I've been very lucky in so many ways, but I've definitely drawn on life experience to create the event. That's mm. for sure. And say so besides, oh, maybe you can just quickly talk about mentors, but were there any other people or books or any other resources that you think really helped you on your, on your journey? Um, I think that if anything comes to mind, yeah, yeah, the the standout. Unfortunately, it's not a not a book or anything like that. But Mm. um, it was a mentor who was uh, my you know my boss and at the event company I used to work for. He he just taught me everything and guided everything, and he loved. 
like he loved me <laughs> as mm. a son for who I was and my creativity and and like he he was he was he's definitely been the most um incredible mentor and person to have have in my life um mm. because uh, it's hard to i guess say but i got so much positive reinforcement and negative <laughs> we had some pretty mm. big fallouts but um <laughs> He just, he was truly like a father, like a, a career father to me. And, um, you know, I guess I was, I, 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 re I actually struggle reading. <laughs> just a note to anybody out there. If anyone wants to send me an email, a one line is going to get a response a lot quicker than a, an, an, a, <laughs> a huge. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, he was a, he was a big reader. And so I used to actually get, I guess, synopsis of all these like great books and things from him. Um, mm -hmm. Because I'm a, I get my um, insight from talking to people. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I have such great people around me. It's for me, it's quality over quantity because um, I've done the quantity <laughs> yeah. uh, with mm. Miami and knowing those kinds of people. So for me, it's just having conversations with the most random people what mm -hmm. off the, on the surface seeming like the most random people just talk yeah. to people. Um, and, you know, I love the idea of what you were saying with that this um, podcast has helped get you through this, this year, because yes, you must've mm. had um, so many interesting conversations with so many interesting people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, again, not to make light of the pandemic, but I suppose for me, this has really been one of the uh, gifts of the pandemic in that it, it, it's really, I suppose, pushed me to talk to, you know, amazing people like yourself. And, uh, and hopefully through these conversations, other people can benefit when they think about their own careers. And just as, as a final question, CJ, um, the name of this podcast is uh, on meaningful work. Uh, what does the term meaningful work mean for you? Mm. I think for me, meaningful work, it's, it's probably going to be a bit of a cliche, but I really truly mean that it is, it's purposeful work. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't have to mean like a greater purpose as long as it gives you a purpose. And for me, you know, space is for me, what makes space meaningful to me is that we get to do fun, cool, creative things, but the long-term vision is that we, by creating these fun, cool experiences for other people that they connect with, other unlike-minded people to mm -hmm. go on and do things that is going to change the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of, like, I, I, I'm, I don't know how to save the world. I don't mm -hmm. know what to do to, you know, fix the, um, you know, cl climate challenges. I don't know what we're going to do to kind of like have a more just and equal society. <laughs> mm -hmm. But what I do know is how to create awesome experiences. And mm -hmm. I get a huge amount of, uh, I get far more joy out of creating experiences for people that can connect and go on to do amazing things than I do at the end of my old job where I was creating awesome, amazing experiences, but to sell hotel rooms. So um, meaningful work for me is to just have, have a purpose. And, you know, that's, that's my purpose is that, you know, I can 
help inspire people to do great things that mm. might not necessarily be someone else's but um i guess it's finding what you're good at and and finding a way to make it a a force for change <laughs> mm-hmm. or a force for good <laughs> in some way. No, it's, and, and just off the top of my head, I can think of three people who have created amazing projects and who's literally doing really good in the world. Thanks to space and what you've created. So firstly, thank you. Thank you for that. But also thank you for your time today, CJ. I really, really appreciate it. And I also oh, appreciate you. I really appreciate you. I probably shared more than I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say thank you, especially for that. <laughs> but yeah, I really appreciate you sharing your story because I think it really shows how to create something meaningful and that you got to really take a, a good look at who you are and, and your past experiences and what you've learned from them. And from that, really, you know do something with that and create something with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's all you can do, right? That's all you can do. <laughs> do you have any closing thoughts or comments or shout outs to anyone before we wrap up? Uh, well, no, just, I mean, a shout out to you to say thank you for having me on and, um, and yeah, your time as well um, in, in putting, putting this together. Um, yeah, just a shout out to everybody, I think, in, in Melbourne. Um, for sure, because I, you know, have been through a challenging year myself, as obviously so many people. Um, but you know, having to still be in lockdown as well, like I just can't imagine how um, hard that must be. And so yeah, I'm I'm thinking of everybody in Melbourne, and as hard as it is, I am starting to look forward a little bit to actually all the positives that this horrific year has actually that sorry the the byproduct of this horrific year that i do see that there's going to be some really strong mm. positives out of it um and it's really down to all of us to make sure that we do build back better um mm. and not you know everyone keeps going oh you know when will things get back to normal well you know, the old normal wasn't that great. So let's create a like a far better new normal. (laughs) And I I can see it. I can, it's taken me a while, but I can see it now. (laughs) And I think that's a fantastic place to end. Thank you so much, CJ. Wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks.